Welcome to the 10th episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm A. Tobes, and I'm joined by my husband, the Tobes. We're back to give our hot takes on the latest UTSA football news, talk a little UTSA basketball, and throw some Hail Mary shots downfield for our listeners to love or hate. Well, let's get started with the latest coaching news. As JJ had predicted on our year-end review episode, the situation with Coach Nix was resolved at the end of January. Um, the outcome for me, at least, wasn't totally unexpected, given how long it took for them to come to a resolution. Right. Um, the university announced that it would take it would allow Coach Nick's contract to expire at the end of the term, due in part to the internal investigation he had been suspended for back on November fourteenth, among other unnamed factors. Um, and for those of you that maybe aren't as familiar with um, the internal investigation. Um, our understanding is that that was a Title IX related incident. Um, and if you don't know what Title IX is, it is the um, regulation that prohibits harassment and discrimination in the workplace in a student or in a educational setting. Um, so likely this was some sort of allegation of misconduct on his part, although obviously we don't know what the details are. Right. Um, my guess would be, given the fact that this wasn't an outright termination, this was just allowing him to have the contract expire, that likely this was something that wasn't as clear cut. Maybe there was some inappropriate conduct that occurred, but it didn't really rise to the level of being you know, harassment per se in the legal definition, um, you know, or... Uh, for those of you that listen to Alamodome Audible, um, Jared had said he had heard that there were two different issues that had occurred with, or there were two rumors of things that had occurred with Coach Nix, and from what he understands, both of them are true. So perhaps it was this Title IX investigation, and then there was something else that had happened, maybe unrelated to that, and where it just kind of got this feeling like, where there's smoke, there's fire, so let's just go ahead and take this approach where it's not an outright termination, but it's also not an outright exoneration. Right. And I think based on what we know, it's, it's clear that it was going to be an uphill climb, even though there's confidence that they, he might be back that he would probably be back. I should say it really seemed like this was going to be an uphill climb. There was maybe like at least two strikes against them, maybe even more, more than that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's not really a clear cut, Hey, three strikes and you're out, but I mean, at the point that you're getting like a, a second strike and you're still in your first year, it, I think you, you've, you've got to know you, it's probably not going to last. Right. And, you know, I know there was some, you know, kind of back and forth discussion about how long the investigation took. Um, that didn't necessarily surprise me knowing that this was a Title IX investigation because it means that it had to be held, um, investigated outside of the athletic department. Um, and I think we've seen in other cases um you know, particular where we had the lecturer a couple of months ago, or maybe last year that had been arrested. She was on television for, you know, having been a part of this drug operation and it took the university months to resolve that. So the length of time didn't necessarily surprise me. Um, but like you said, you know, if there were more than one or two issues, um, you know, probably they just felt like it was best to say, Hey, let's let's just move on. Let's not call it a termination because maybe, you know, there wasn't enough to really do that. But this is sort of their almost passive aggressive way to 
to move on to another person. Right. And I believe it was JJ that actually said too, or to tweet it out that all of the coaches' contracts were coming up. So, you know, you're looking at every, all the conduct and, mm-hmm. and all these other issues. You're right. It's, it's just going to be, let, let's just let it expire and let's just move on. Yeah. I think the, um, <laughs> more surprising announcement that came out after that was that rather than doing a search nationwide to replace Nix, um, they decided to promote both just Lepp and uh, Rod Wright to um, co-defensive coordinators. And, you know, my guess is that that was really driven more by budget constraints um, than that being Jeff Trailer's probably first choice. I mean, we know that um, the coaches did have to take uh, pay cuts this past year due to COVID. Um, so I'm guessing, well, and we also know that UTSA has a history of having budget constraints when it comes to salaries for football coaches. Well, sure. yeah. So, you know, my guess is that this is really more budget related than anything else, um, you know, and also given how close it is to National Signing Day, you know, I wonder if there were concerns about doing a nationwide search and how that would impact either, you know, the recruits who hadn't signed yet, or maybe the ones who had signed, if they would, you know, want to leave because um, there was a change being made. So, you know, maybe they felt like this was the safe choice. It gave continuity both to the recruits and to the players that have been here rather than, you know, them having to go through a new system potentially two years in a row. I mean, I'm disappointed that we didn't do the national search, but from everything you said, it, it, it all clearly makes sense. You know, I, I think you also have to look at it in the terms of if you do find somebody else, how many of the coaches are you keeping? So again, falls in line with what you're saying about the recruiting. Mm-hmm. You want, you've already got some guys that are coming in or you've even signed some of these guys. At the, what point do you say, Coach Lepp isn't staying? Let's just say, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, we, we got a d- different defensive coordinator. Coach Lepp isn't going to be, you know, kept. So what happens now? So, you know, all of a sudden, I would imagine some of these kids might come up to the coach trailer and say, yeah, I, I, I want to be released. I yeah, yeah, I want to be released. So, you know, again, I, it makes all sense in terms of budget, in terms of, you know, what we've got going on for um, our recruits. So, yeah, I mean, it, you would assume he would bring somebody in from the outside who would want to have the same type of defensive scheme, but I guess there's also, you know, the possibility that, that you could, you know, have somebody that wants to do something a little bit different, even if it's, well, it sure. is within yeah. the, the scheme, you know. So at least this way, you know, you're not looking at our current kids having to face, you know, a change two years in a row as well. Um, and then from everything I've heard, you know, Rod Wa- Rod Wright, um, you know, he's the only holdover from the Wilson era. You know, apparently he is supposed to be kind of this up and coming coach. And so maybe there's a desire to, you know, want to promote him. um, And this is a way to do that. And then also, you know, recognize the fact that, you know, Lepp was really the one doing all the play calling last, um, last year at the end of the year. And while there, you know, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't exactly what Nick's would have done. You know, he did a pretty good job overall. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would say that on the rod, right. It's also a good way to kind of continue dev- his development. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, at, at this type of level, if he's able to go to a defensive coordinator position, even at UTSA, it, it really puts something on his resume to be able to go, you know, go later on to, let's just say, 
you know, an A&M or, you know, an Arkansas or, mm-hmm. you know, Better another program. P5 school, he can still go in as a defensive line coach, but he can also say, look, I've also been a defensive coordinator. So there might be something that he adds um, to that. Um, I'm glad you brought up though that some of the struggles with lap, because, you know, I, I think for all of us, we were excited about, I think just having that continuity. Mm-hmm. And I think there was sort of this quick backlash towards Knicks. And when I say backlash, it wasn't like, you know, people were trashing him, but it was more of a, oh, yeah, the defense really improved at, at the end of the year. Well, I think there was there were certain factors for that, right? I mean, first of all, we do have to kind of look at some of the issues that Lep did have. That first half against UTEP, a, a, a bad offense. I mean, he wasn't really pressuring the quarterbacks at all for UTEP. He wasn't... Um, it didn't look like the defense that we had seen before. And at the time, before we even knew that Knicks had been suspended, we were all wondering what's going on. Mm-hmm. So it, it was anti-Knicks at that point. Um, it, then we went in the second half and we saw the defense that we had seen before flying around, you know, uh, making more plays. So, you know, that's something you have to keep into consideration. Also, the fact that there were three bad teams at the end of the year, there in November that we played. And to say that we, we played – empirically better well sure i mean we were going against the weakest part of our schedule we've talked about it during our season review where we felt we knew that there could be some we could gain some ground in terms of a record um in november so let's let's just keep that in mind that yes first of all you've got bad teams second of all you also got players that have now either returning back to the fold or and you have people the players that are comfortable now with the system so it, it's a lot that's going on there. So, you know, I think we just have to, you know, keep in mind, how does this, how does LEP go, go forward? Yeah. Um, I mean, the two things, you know, that first half of the UTEP game, he definitely said that he was more conservative and that he, you know, seemed like he acknowledged that and then changed his approach to the second half, um, which helped, you know, obviously turn that game around. Um then you had the North Texas game, which seemed to go well. But then when we got to the bowl game, you know, there were moments back in that um, in the bowl game where it seemed like the play calling was coming in slow. Um, right. So, you know, that's something else you kind of have to keep an eye on as we look at Lep's performance for next year. You know, I don't know if that was just kind of a one-off or not, but we really only have three games of history with Lep. Correct. And I think the, the one other point I'd, want to make sure that we all understand as well as as much as we say, well, the defense really improved under Knicks. Remember this team went up to Provo and we hailed them for the performance they had up there. Knicks was a defensive coordinator then, mm-hmm. um, you know, UAB Knicks was a defensive coordinator. Um, so while we're quick to kind of say, yeah, they were really good at the end. They still had a lot of really good moments near the beginning of the year. So right. it's, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it goes just beyond just numbers. I think the team, the defense played well for the most part, most of the year as they kind of settled into the, you know, to the system and as Nick's kind of settled into how he wanted to call the play. So, you know, it's unfortunate that we had to say bye to him, but um, you know, understandable. Yep. You know, the one thing though, that's still an open question for me is um, Nick's was both the defensive coordinator and the linebackers coach. And in the press release, there really was no mention about what was going to be done with the linebackers. So they didn't mention, you know, are they promoting someone else to take care of that? Um, or are we going on, you know, are we searching externally? So um, it's a little bit of a question for me, but hopefully, you know, we're looking to bring somebody in from the outside, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and I would like to see somebody like a, a, a good up-and-coming coach maybe. You know, hopefully Trader Con looks in his quote-unquote Rolodex mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, looks for either like a guy on the Texas high school football scene that, you know, maybe is up-and-coming or maybe just a young guy. It's an analyst somewhere else that, you know, has the opportunity uh, or wants the opportunity to come to UTSA and, you know, coach linebackers. But uh, considering how the linebackers had been over the previous years in the Wilson era, um, I, I think we really need to find a good a good linebackers coach. Yeah. The last thing I want to do want to add to this is I think we need to remember this moment because this could be a moment that stunts trailers growth of the program. I mean, you know, we, we've kind of already outlined some of the issues budget wise. Uh, you know, we can do a national search. So it's great to promote within, but sometimes that's not necessarily the right thing. So hopefully this isn't something that we look back, you know, a few years from now and say, wow, the budget. Yeah. What could have been there? National signing day is upon us. It's this Wednesday, February 3rd. Um, This year due to COVID uh, there won't be an in-person event. It'll be a virtual event on, um, on Facebook, I think is where they're streaming it for fans. Um, So um, most of our recruits, it looks like, have um, signed early. I guess there's still a potential that we might have a couple of last-minute surprises. But what we have so far, we have a 14-signed letter of intent, um, heavy on the JUCO transfers. Um, as Coach Trailer had said this year, you know they were really looking more towards transfer portal, um, JUCO transfers, and those high school recruits where they had already seen the kids in person and had verified, you know, verified their height and and so forth. Um, We also have five additional hard commits that, you know, all indication is that they'll be signing, um, including two locals, uh, Dre Spriggs, a wide receiver, and Robert Rigsby, an offensive guard, um, and four transfers, um, one from Kansas, one from Kansas State, another from Tulane, and Texas A&M. So assuming that all of those hard commits sign, it looks like we'll have six from the San Antonio area. And I am including the kid from New Braunfels in that count. Okay. 15 on defense and eight on offense. Anything that kind of jumps out to you so far with um, with our recruits? I mean, I don't think it's like anybody spectacular. But I I think the, the biggest thing is you kind of see what, what trailer and the coaching staff have really started doing is really shaping this team. Um, you see Eddie Lee Marburger, who's a, who's been touted so much by fans, mm-hmm. um, but you see the type of quarterback he is and you see how he's fit. We've kind of talked about that before. And you're looking at, he's really investing heavily on that offensive line. I mean, there's mm-hmm. uh, obviously we need some depth and <clears throat> we need depth everywhere, but it's good to see him focusing on the offensive line saying, this is the type of offensive lineman that I need. Um, Defensively, he's looking at those holes, which is linebacker position. You know, that was always mm-hmm. sort of, a, I would say, thinner in terms of talent. Um, but now I think we're really starting to see those the right type of players there instead of, right. you know, kind of mixing the matching guys. Um, having some secondary depth, it never hurts, when, especially in uh, especially in college because you have a lot of, uh, of these kind of spread and air raid type offenses. So, you know... <clears throat> I guess Marburger kind of stands out as, as a big recruit, but, you know, I would like to see his jump from 
where he played to, you know, UTSA. And then I think everybody else is just coming in and it may not be a star studded say as 2019 when you get your essentially franchise running back and your franchise, you know, safety mm -hmm. uh, in terms of Rashad Wisdom and of course, Sincere McCormick. Yeah, it's some great wide receivers too. Right. Um, however, I think it's just starting to build that depth. And when you start seeing what we wanted to see from UTSA in the next 10 years, this is a great start. And I think this is uh, encouraging to see. Yeah, and I think you had mentioned too, there was um, a recruit on here that looked like they might be better placed in the nose tackle position um, where... Uh, yeah, it was a transfer. It's the Brandon Brown um, from, from Tulane. You know, uh, I know it's been mentioned in other podcasts, but yeah, I saw the same thing. As soon as I saw him come up, it's, it's going to be good to have a true nose tackle. Mm -hmm. We haven't had a true nose tackle. It's been... The, the guys have played well, and I think it's obviously to Rod Wright's credit, as we've talked about before, but uh, I think it's encouraging to see us starting to kind of plug those. We're running a 3-4, three, 3-3-5 three, three, sort of hybrid. Mm -hmm. You need that big guy to be able to kind of really plug up some of those offensive linemen, and I think he does it. Yeah. The other thing we're still kind of waiting on is, you know, figuring out exactly who those super seniors are that are coming back. Um, we do know now um, that both Dantzler and Antonio Parks are coming back. Both of them have made announcements on Twitter. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of rumors flying around that both Charles Wiley and Jalen Haynes are on campus and likely will be back. You know, we expect if those are truly the four that are coming back, we expect another four to five potentially. Um, we've heard that there are playmakers um, from this past year. So, you know, don't exactly know who they are, but we kind of ran through a list of our best guess, if you will. That's a good way of putting it. Um, so, you know, on that front, we kind of looked at um, Pastucci, um, Hunter Duplicis, uh, Josh Otis, and then maybe Leroy Watson to add some dance moves and support on the tight end side. <laughs> uh, yeah, from the from the tight end position, I think you know, I think it's probably the the least of our concerns, but mm -hmm. it would, it would be probably good for it to have him back again. You know, that's just our guess. Pastucci and Otis would give us more depth on the, on the line. And especially with five guys coming in, you know, you, you really do. We had problems last year. I mean, we had to cancel one game because of it. So. Yeah. Um, and especially since he was injured for, it seemed like the majority of the year. And right. we don't know what the injury was, but whatever it was allowed him to do some, to play special teams. Um, but with something that, you know, kind of, prohibited him from really being on the line. Yeah. And then Hunter could possibly be back. So, you know, again, you have some consistency there and that'll always help. Yeah. I mean, the other good thing from our perspective is that while a lot of these schools right now are just seeing a ton of seniors hitting the transfer portal, you know, UTSA really doesn't have a lot of players that are on the transfer portal looking to leave the program. Good point. Um, right now we only have, you know, four four people that are in the portal, one being Brandon Deagle, the other Dedrick Wilson, um, Solomon Wise, and then the last one is Vance Valaire. You know, obviously kids that are looking for some playing time elsewhere. Um, you know, but I guess that, again, kind of drives home the culture that Trailer has been able to establish this year that, you know, the kids want to stay and, and he's looking to, to keep as many of them as he can. Yeah. And I think everybody's just kind of rooting for Solomon Wise. I mean, he came in, we, I think everybody hoped that he would be really impactful. Maybe he didn't get a chance to do that, but hopefully he finds a home and, you know, to really make an impact and really get some good playing time.
Okay, in other football news, we got the 2021 schedule. Yep. So when we discussed this, we thought, oh, we just have a little bit of fun and do way too early schedule predictions. So we're going to do a little one loss kind of thing uh, here, and we'll see how we end up. All right. That said, let me just start out by saying, when looking at the schedule, it's an it just screams as a winnable schedule. Every single game is winnable. Yep. Now, things are just going to have to fall right for this team in order for them to be able to win these games. But I really felt like UTSA, at a minimum, is 40% chance to win these games, even some of the away games. Right. <clears throat> so, that said, here's how we're looking at this. The quarterback position gets solidified. Mm-hmm. And there's little to no drop off on defense with Lep now and Wright as the defensive coordinators. Right. We're not going to take into consideration any sort of injuries or anything, but we know they'll happen. We know there's going to be letdowns. So here's how we're going to go for it. Uh, starting off. All right. With all that said, this team starts off in Champaign, Illinois. For me, Big Ten team. I just think that there's still a gap there. I see it as a close loss. Yeah, for sure. This is a game that that we're excited about. We definitely are going to be at this game if COVID allows because our nephew attends (laughs) Illinois. That's right. So um, we're really excited about going to this game. But, you know, I agree with you. Illinois is at the bottom of the rankings when it comes to the Big Ten. Um, But they do have um, a good quarterback um, they do have a lot of players returning, and you know, unfortunately, I think this is going to be a loss for UTSA. All right. After that, we return back to the dome where Lamar comes into town. It's the FCS team. It's a win. Absolutely. All right. We stay in the dome. We get Middle Tennessee with a return visit. Beginning of conference play for me, it's a win because it's no Asher, no problem. Yep, I totally agree. All right, so then we are looking at Memphis. This one was a game that was canceled this year, and now we are going to Memphis to play uh, there. One thing to note here is that UTSA has not had a winning, I would say over, above 500 record on the road Mm -hmm. since 2013. That said, is this the first win of the first away win uh, for the runners for me? For me, I struggled. It was a 50-50. You know, I think this is going to be a little clarity, but gut reaction, it's a loss. Yeah, I think this is going to be a loss, too. Um, While I think there potentially is more of an opportunity if we're going to pull an upset away um, against, you know, a higher-ranked team, I think we have a better chance of pulling the upset against Illinois than we do against Memphis, given the fact that they have continuity in terms of their – either their coach as well as some players. So I, I think this one's going to be a loss. It's unfortunate, but um, then we head back to the dome and we got UNLV for their their first matchup against UTSA. Look, they weren't a very good team this past season. Uh, so I'm going to put us down as a win. I still think it will be a closer game. I didn't say a close one, but I said a closer game uh, just because, again, I think you have an established you know G5 team. And so that puts us in a position where – uh, it's probably going to, we're going to have to play a little better than I think we would put it on cruise control for say LMR or something. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's going to be, um, a tougher game, but we're at home. Um, UNLV is, does not have a great record, um, from last year. 
I think um, this is definitely a win for UTSA. All right. So then we're now just entering. We end our non-conference schedule and we go straight conference now. Mm-hmm. We're going to Western Kentucky. You know, with Bailey Zappi heading there along with his two of his top receivers, his offensive coordinator, you know, Houston Baptist looked pretty good this past season. Uh, they took Tech down to the wire. My gut reaction is, it, you know, it was 50-50. I'm going to say it's a close loss. Yeah, I think this is going to be a close game, but unfortunately I think um, it's a game that we're going to lose. Um, UTSA has historically struggled on the road. Um, Western Kentucky didn't have a great season last year, but um, I think with their quarterback situation being secured this year, um, I think they're going to be one of those teams that pulls it together um, now that they've got kind of their starting lineup back. um, And I think it's going to be a close loss. With that, we return home to the Dome. A team that neither one of us like really have faith in when it comes to whatever we play them. It's Rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's always a close game. It's it's a type of rivalry type score that we get every single time. We've never blown out Rice. They've blown us out. We've never blown them out. Right. So with that said, I have a close win. What do you think? Yeah, I think Rice is going to be a tough. They're always a tough opponent for us. Um, they're in a rebuilding. They're better than their schedule. Um, but, you know, they have had a couple of um, folks leave this season. It's It could be a toss-up, but I'm going to go ahead and say we pull out the win because we're playing at home. Huh, look at that. All right. Now we get to La Tech. We're going to Ruston. We have never won in Ruston. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's put that out there right now. Right. For me, gut reaction, we get our first win in Ruston. I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I think La Tech is going to be looking for revenge because they've had our number for so long. They're at home. They're going to be really motivated to get a win against UTSA. So I think it's going to go towards La Tech. All right. In the weirdest scheduling of all, we get our second FCS opponent, and we've got UTEP. So we're going out to El Paso. Um, a win. Just, again, I I don't care about UTEP. They're always a win. What about you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they. this should be a big win for us. Um, even though it's an away game, it's UTEP. They, they're just not in the same league with UTSA. They're not, and I think they're, they're replacing their coordinator. So, uh, I mean, again. FCS. Um, now here's where it gets interesting. We come back to the dome and it's Southern Miss. Gut reaction, I put down a win, but if there's ever going to be a letdown for me, Southern Miss is it. Um, you know, it it was a close game in Hattiesburg this past year. Uh, and so I'm not really sure, but I'm going to go with the win, though my Gut is going back and forth <laughs> over and over. What about you? Yeah, I feel like this is going to be a win, but it could be, um, you know, it could be tougher than we expect. I mean, Southern Miss has a new yes, coach. Agreed. Um, last year, we played them with a depleted roster with a coaching staff that what they knew that they weren't going to be there. Right. This year, they're going to have a new coaching staff. Um, they've got, you know, new guys coming in. Um, I think they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. They're going to be playing to try to beat UTSA, but ultimately I think um, UTSA is going to be the more talented team. We're going to be at home. We're going to win. 
So the reason I said that this would be a letdown here for me is because this next week is UAB. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like the runners have been putting UAB in their scope this whole time because they lost this past year. It was close. Not as close as we all wanted to see it uh, as, but UAB under Bill Clark has been a standard uh, in terms of the West division of conference USA. So for me, you hate to hear it, but I'm going with a loss. I know that they've got, they've lost some players, but gut reaction is I don't know that we're buttoned up yet to the point of, really staying with UAB. What about you? Yeah, this is the measuring stick game for me. Um, UAB is a program that has a history of winning. They are going to be hungry to get that championship game this year. Um, They've had a consistent coaching staff. They, I, I think if we pull out the win here, it is the measuring stick that Jeff Trailer is the real deal you know, that UTSA is about to, to turn the page. Um, I don't think we should be disappointed with a loss in this game. Um, but if if we get the win, this is the, wow, we have really turned the page kind of victory for UTSA. Well um, said. But <clears throat> at this point, I have it as a loss, but I don't think we should be disappointed in that. With that, we end the season the way we should in a rivalry game against the emotional color team from right. Denton. You actually started out at North Texas. I did. And then all of a sudden, you know, came to your senses and became a runner. So That's right. that has nothing to do with this game. However, I still see it as a, more of a personal rivalry. Yeah, it is. I'm conflicted. <laughs> but it's a win. To me, it's gotta be a win from everything that's happened to that to that program. There's just no way that I see them being able to turn it around. And I think they will be able to keep it a game, but you know, still. It just, there's just no way this, we can lose this game. Yeah. Well, when I said that UAB was a measuring stick for me, North Texas is also a measuring stick. The UAB is a measuring stick. If we win it, we're about to turn the page. Things are going to go well. North Texas is a measuring stick. If we lose it, we are not as good as we think we are. Um, We should win this game. It is an away game. It is a rivalry game and things can always go wrong in those types of game. But Folks, if we walk away with a loss, um, first of all, if we, we walk away with a loss at Rice or North Texas, one or the other, it's okay. We're, we're in the middle of the road. If we walk away with losses at both, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, I'm going to put us down as a win because I have faith in our team, and I think that North Texas is in a bad position right now. Seth Latrell's on the ropes. He's trying to, you know, bring in new coordinators to save his job. He's got a ton of kids in the transfer portal. Um, I think a loss here would be a bad position for the program to be in. So with that, that puts my record, my gut reaction record, way too early prediction of eight and four, six and two in conference puts you at seven, five, five and three in conference. Clearly we both think that this is a team that's going to go bowling first time in program history that it does it back to back years. Um, we're not predicting bowls, but I think we're both say, saying, sorry, that this is going to be a good runner team. Yeah. Um, and it's the team that starts making the next step. And I think you see it when we talked about the recruits, we talk about the schedule. This has got to be a year that we really start putting that 
foot forward and saying we are true con- contenders in uh, the West Division. Yep, absolutely. I think we should be happy if we get six wins. I think we should expect to come away with seven. Anything over seven for me is just icing on the cake, and it means that UTSA is ready to take that next step, and we're on the great path. And it'll say that you were wrong about one of the games, but that's fine. It's gut reaction. It's way too early. So <laughs> I, if the record is better, I'm good with that. If the record is less than six, no, I'm not good with that. Fair enough. All right. Well, after all of that positivity talking about UTSA football, let's talk about men's basketball. Where do we start? I don't know. Well, let's look at it this way. This team is built as a, 500 team, okay. maybe a slightly above 500 team. You know, obviously, if you're wearing the road under glasses, you think that this is a championship team. Uh, it's not. It's just not what um, it's not what we have on the you know in terms, the of, in terms of players. So I get there's a lot of optimism with Keaton and Javon being the sort of the focal points, but you know, I, I think there's there's issues both player wise and with Henson. Mm -hmm. So let's start off with the players. First of all, I think there's a lack of personal growth there. Numbers wise, you can say, well, Javon's numbers are down this year after essentially them being much better between his freshman and junior years. Mm -hmm. Keaton kind of actually peaked his sophomore year where he had his best numbers and he's steadily declined. In terms of the other players, you know, it, it's not like they have a, a huge sample size. So, you know, I I think if you're looking at your two stars and saying, why aren't they performing where they should? You know, I, I think you have to look at some of the, the intangibles they have. You can look at the numbers and tell one story, but without the numbers, I don't see that Javon has gotten steadier as a player. Mm-hmm. The basketball IQ is not, has not really improved as much as I would have hoped for a player of his quote unquote stature at this point. Mm-hmm. Keaton is the same way. They they tend to play a lot of hero ball. And maybe that's just the way the team is set up. We can go into that a little bit later, but if that's the way the team is set up, they're not creating easy baskets. They fell in love with their jumper and that's how they're taking it. And mm-hmm. the problem is you look at the numbers and they tell that story too. I believe I believe Keaton has is averaging like three free throws, maybe four this year. Same thing with Javon. That tells you they're not getting to the basket. Mm-hmm. Not drawing files. Exactly. And most of the time that they are, I see them at the end of a game when they're trying to close it out. When they're getting fouled, you know, when it's time to foul. So, right. uh, you know, and they're not stressing a defense. So I think there's personal growth. Um, go back to FIU just a year ago, um, you know, trying to inbound the ball after losing this big lead. And both of them kind of froze. And there was like this, I just remember that I couldn't believe the two of them had come up and, it was a simple play and they both fell apart. Like, mm-hmm. so they're juniors. Like, it's not like we're talking about their freshman or sophomore year. So there are things like that, that I think we tend to just kind of scoop past and we blame Henson on it. Whoa, why didn't he have a timeout? What, at what point did these guys grow up? And you realize they're going to have to be able to make decisions on the court mm-hmm. as leaders, quote unquote, they should be able to handle some of these situations. But I think that lends into the second problem. There is a lack of leadership. Right. You look back at Javon this year and last year, he was suspended to begin both seasons. That tells you already that that's a problem with your leaders. If he is the leader, there's an issue. Right. 
Um, other than that, I mean, who else on there could be vocal? I mean, it doesn't seem like there's anybody that fills that. Uh, they just seem to play for themselves almost. And it was notable when I was talking to you pre-podcast that, you know, Germany had said something about the, um, after the Southern Miss game was like, the quote was something like, yeah, we played together. We really played for each other. That should be a given. You should be playing for each other the entire time. So, you know, regardless of Henson, someone's got to be able to step up and say, get on, you know, get back on defense, you know, let's hustle, let's do whatever. That's just what happens. And I think right. that that role was Gio DeNicolao in Javon's first two seasons. And you see that the team actually had a 20 and 15 record. Uh, Javon's freshman year, 17 and 15 in Javon's sophomore year, you take him out. And all of a sudden this team has kind of plummeted. So you, you clearly see that that's where the leadership void is. Right. I mean, I mean, most teams have to be leader led from, from player led, like player leader led. Right. I mean, we've talked about it in terms of UTSA, you mm-hmm. see Rashad on defense and you see um, Frank on offense. Right. They're not necessarily on each team on each side of the ball, the best player, but it's all about how you lead and how you make sure that these te- these guys get up. We even talked about Watson uh, during the bowl game when we saw that he said, hey, we're not doing this to the defense. Get up here. We're supporting our defense. Things like that is what is missing, I think, from the basketball team. Right. So, you know, we can go back and forth on that, but let's move on to Henson. Where I think Henson has issues is that his two-star players – quote unquote, have fallen in love with their jump shots. Mm-hmm. And instead of finding like a better offensive cohesive mix where he's getting them to the line, it's it's not working. So is he just not getting through? And I, I'm afraid that he's getting tuned out by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a problem because if you have your two main guys tuned out, you know, who else is going to be listening? Um, the other thing is, and I know you're going to cringe at this, but when you spell Henson, you got an O in there, but you got no D. That's right. And that's what this team is. It's got no defense. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem like they even have the desire to play defense. They look bored on defense. They look like they don't. They're just ready for their opponent to either hit the shot or miss it, so they can either potentially get the rebound or get back on offense. That's really what they want to do. And the well, problem they, they keep flipping back and forth between their their defensive schemes. I mean, they play man sometimes, they play zone sometimes, and it's not changing the defensive scheme based on the team they're playing like they'll change it up in the middle of the game you know and it's almost like they're just not really sure what they want to do or you know what's working i don't know and i i think to that it kind of goes back to some of the personnel i think the personnel is who they are but i think you expected that maybe we'd have a more of a banger inside i thought Mm -hmm. cedric alley might be more of a physical player down low Germany is still he's just not strong enough really I think he needs a he needs to continue growing there in terms of getting more strength it's, he doesn't get pushed around down low um and then Eric Parrish I'm not really sure what his role is like mm-hmm. he's a nice name but I don't offensively he seems lost defensively he's up and down so at least in terms of that part of the roster it's just befuddling and so you kind of see where Henson has problems but he's got to be able to say, look, we're going to run man, you know, man defense here. We're going to go man to man. We'll be fine. Uh, you know, let's change this up so that we can throw off our, you know, our opponent. However, it just seems like sometimes it's just untimely. So 
you know, certainly I think that he bears a lot of responsibility with some of these issues. Um, but I think that we need to be fair to not only Henson, I think he's 55, 45, the problem. I think the players are also part of the issue. And I think when you look at this team, I'll reiterate what I began with. This team is about a 500 team and that's where they're at. So why do we expect otherwise? Yeah. And, and realistically, I mean, I know there's fans out there on Twitter saying, Hey, we should fire Henson and we should make a change. I mean, you know, we've already talked about kind of the budget constraints when it came to, you know, what we think is a reason for the co-defensive coordinators. Right. I mean, honestly, I don't see them making a change right now in the middle of Henson's contract with a potential buyout. If they're going to do anything this year in terms of making a coaching change, I think it would have to be on the women's side. Um, because as much as we criticize the men's basketball team, the women are playing terribly. They've only won two games so far and they really haven't had a successful season in years. Yeah. It, it doesn't, I think the bigger problem there is it doesn't look like they're competitive and that's, right. uh, that's more of the problem. You can be losing and be competitive, but it doesn't seem like they are quite competitive and that's yeah. a shame. I mean, all those players, they're getting scholarships. I'm sure they're trying to try their best, but right. it's just not happening. So it's a shame. I mean, I think, um, again, going back to the men, it's everything that we uh, we hope for. But uh, what about Juice? I, real quick about Juice, I think him and Germany are obviously the potential the stars of the uh, of the team. But I think you got something else that uh, was a, a nice pickup. Yeah. So so Jordan Ivy Curry, um, you know, the team has this ritual where at the beginning of the games they have this thing where they kind of come out and the strength coach is there and he sort of like pounds them on the chest and they high five and whatever. And, you know, they post this video before every game. And I got to tell you, you can go back and watch the last couple of games. Jordan Ivy Curry just looks really uncomfortable with this ritual. <laughs> I mean, he's cringing. Yes. He's like yes. physically like trying to like, you know, protect himself from <laughs> what is about to happen. And so I'm not sure if it's just this like physical reaction, like if he's into it or is he really like, is he really like feeling uncomfortable? So <laughs> Jordan Ivy Curry, if you're out there, if you're listening, because he is a Twitter follower of mine. So if you're listening to this. Nice, humble brag. <laughs> yeah, and you need help. Like, just blink twice in the next video, and we'll make sure that we get you some help, all right? Okay. I don't know about we. Atos will. But... <laughs> <laughs> we can't have the future of our team feeling like he's getting beat up before every game. All right. That's fair. All right. We're going to throw a little curveball here. As normally, Atos starts this part off. This time, it's me. So, before we go, all of you out there lamenting the fact that we no longer have college football, fear not, because FCS has their spring season coming up. Little note here is that Atoves actually got her MBA from Tarleton State in Stephenville. Mm -hmm. And just a note, a further note here is that Tarleton State joined WAC over the summer as they transitioned from Division II up to FCS. So they have their first game on February 13th, and it's against someone that we actually are familiar with it's mcneese state and one frank wilson yep. so we'll have on february 13th in stephenville tarleton making their very first jump from jump from to fcs hosting that game and we're gonna have frank wilson coaching his very first game at mcneese so with that atos hit us with some tarleton state magic yeah so for those of you that might not be familiar with the tarleton program um like tobe said 
They've been playing um, Division II in the Lone Star Conference for the last several years. Um, they've had a lot of success at that level. Um, last year, 2019, um, they went 11-1. and um, The previous year in 2018, they had 12 wins. Um, so Tarleton's got a great um, history of winning at that Division II level. They have had success winning against FBS um, opponents in the past. Um, in 2019, they did win when they played Stephen F. Austin. Um, so, you know, they're very excited about making this jump um, to FCS um, and are expected to still be competitive in terms of their rankings. They're actually ranked above McNeese overall in the FCS rankings. A um, couple of things, you know, for Tarleton. They've got a consistent coach. Um, coach Witten has been with the program a couple of times. This is actually his third time um, back with the program. He's been there for a number of years. Like I said, they've had a lot of success the last few years with him. Um, they've also, you know, have a history of really having some talented players, even though they've been at the Division II level. Um, last year's quarterback, Ben Holmes, graduated. He's now playing um, arena football. Um, they had a player named Zamari Manning last year who was a wide receiver, um, made it to the NFL level, signed as um, a free agent with the Broncos, but he did get cut before the final roster. Um, and they do have an active player right now in the NFL level, um, EJ Speed. He's a linebacker with the Indiana Colts. Um, he was drafted in the fifth round. So, you know, they have had this kind of history of talent, history of winning. This year, there's going to be a little bit of a question mark, um, again, because their quarterback did graduate. Um, however, they were able to sign a grad transfer, ironically, from Conference USA. Um, Stephen Duncan, who played at Western Kentucky, um, he was a starter, I think, in either 2018 or 2019 before he had an injury. Um, so he's got good experience, you know, being a starter, playing at the FBS level, so he should be um, you know, a pretty good addition for them in their FCS debut. Um, so I think this is going to be a really good um, matchup. Obviously, Frank is looking to come in and you know set a standard with his new program, hopefully have more success than he did at UTSA. Right. Um, ironically, it looks like his starting quarterback is going to be um, Cody Orgeron, um, who is the son of LSU's coach Ed Orgeron. Um, Cody has been their starter previously, um, so it looks like he's going to be the starter again this year that he'll be coming back. Um, Tarleton has lost to McNeese the last time they played. They did play, um, I think it was back in like 2013 or 2014. Um, they lost 3-33. to It was at McNeese. So Tarleton is going to be coming back looking for that um, victory off the bat, looking for a little bit of revenge against McNeese as well. Um, I'm really optimistic that they're going to be competitive at this level and that they can pull off the victory here. Um, I know a lot of you are hoping that Frank Wilson has some level of success. Um, he's welcome to have whatever success he wants after this game, but um, <laughs> this one I am going to be looking solidly for a win in the Tarleton um, camp. Um, again, if you're interested in watching it, um, it is supposed to be on ESPN Plus on February 13th. So Awesome. Be fun to watch. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Hail Married podcast. I'm Atoves. And I'm the Toves. We'll be back. We have some more to report on UTSA football in the upcoming season. See you guys later.